0: Isn't that good? He continues, and I won't read it as well as he just did. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus." There's such a tenderness in this letter, isn't there? I mean, just what you just heard. But one word epitomizes chapter 1 of 2nd Timothy, as we call it. Originally, the divisions of chapter and verse weren't in there. And it's the word loyalty. Loyalty to Christ, loyalty to the mission of Christ, loyalty to the people of Christ, loyalty to this great apostle. And what we're going to do throughout this series is we're going to, every week, take you through a chapter, and we're going to navigate our way through a chapter But then we're going to pull one particular element out of that chapter that really speaks into us in this era. And what I want to focus on today is look with me at verse 8 of chapter 1. So do not be ashamed, Timothy, to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in prospering for the gospel. Is that what it says? That's not what it says, is it? He says, join with me, Timothy, in suffering for the gospel. Can you, imagine some, can you imagine Tom Brady coming onto a commercial for right guard and say, use right guard like I do. It burns my underarms every time. You'd never do that, would you? You'd never try to promote something by saying, join with me in suffering for this. But he does. Why does he do that? Why does he engender uh, uh, among Timothy's soul this reality that Timothy, to give your life to this cause, is to suffer? I think it's because of this. I think it's because he's a realist. And as we just sang, Paul knew that the kingdom of Christ was the upside-down kingdom it goes against the systems of this world. One time the old evangelist Billy Sunday was, almost said Billy Crystal, Billy Crystal wasn't an evangelist. Billy Sunday was approached by someone and said, Mr. Sunday, you rub the cat's fur the wrong way. He said, I don't rub the cat's fur the wrong way, the cat needs to turn around. And so when you belong to Christ, you belong to a kingdom that is going to rub the cat's fur the wrong way, it is. Look at this little dichotomy I put together, just to show you, and I'm really speaking to you students here, because students, many of you struggle, and it's not because your life is so hard, it's because of two things, actually your life's been too easy, and you don't have a purpose, you don't have a purpose, and you need to listen today, because The gospel of Christ and the gospel of this world, look at this, how different they are. The gospel of Christ has an inherent morality about it. It gives boundary to life, transcendent truth that's absolute. When Jesus forgave the woman who'd been caught in adultery and confronted her accusers with their sin, he didn't say to her, go, it's not sin anymore, everything's relative. He said, go and sin no more. You can do it, you can be righteous. But the world system is one of relativity. There there are no absolutes, there are no absolutes, which by the way, is a statement of absolute. Just the next time someone says that to you, you don't believe in moral absolutes, that's a statement of absolute. Our world system says that it's all about the system. It's all about the system. If we could just get the systems right, everything would be fine. So we just gotta fix the system and the gospel of Christ says no. The world is infected with a virus called sin that it needs healed from and cured from. That's very different. That is very different. The gospel of Christ says, repent, turn around, change your mind, and turn. The gospel of this world says, blame other people. It's other people's fault. The gospel of Christ says receive to those who received him, to those who called on his name, he gave the right to be the children of God. The system of this world says you need to achieve, you need to work, you you need to be worthy of esteem and salvation. The kingdom of Christ says grace, the kingdom of the world says works. And you can just see in just that little dichotomy how at odds the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of Christ just, just are. You, many of you as followers of Jesus, you run into it every day. And so Paul knew that, and he challenges this young pastor and says, Timothy, I want to be realistic with you. To do this, it's not going to be easy. You're going to cry out in pain sometimes. And as Paul is writing this, he is an off to imprisoned criminal in the name of Christ. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians, he writes, I am, a, I am a prisoner of Christ. And the tense of it is, I am a prisoner. I'm here because Jesus wanted me here. Oh, that's, that's not come to Jesus and He'll turn your cat- cataracts into Cadillacs, is it? That's not, that's not the kingdom of comfort and ease. As a matter of fact, if today you take the challenge that I'm going to give you that will bring immediate purpose to your life today, today, if you take the challenge I'm going to give you, and you take it personally, here's what you can expect. Look at this you can expect, at best, criticism. The next layer you can expect is very possibly rejections. Your family, your friends will reject you and reject your message, and then it gets worse. Ostracism is then they treat you like you have the plague, and let's hope martyrdom never comes, but it's always a possibility because in the Middle East right now, more people are being killed as martyrs for Christ than any point in the history of the world. Do you know that? There's more martyrdom for Christ today than any point in history. Now, again, this isn't, join Jesus and he'll make your life easier. I realize that. But students, listen to me. The reason that many students in this country suffer like they struggle like they do is they actually have had it too easy and they don't have a purpose. There's not a cause that is transcendent. Now, Paul, look at that, because Paul would experience the whole continuum, because Paul believed that the greatest force in the world for eternal reality, good, and life was the church of Jesus Christ. He believed that. Now, if you've been in the church for five minutes, you wonder about that, don't you? Somebody once said, the church is like Noah's ark. If it wasn't for the Alternative on the outside, you wouldn't be able to stand the smell on the inside. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, you like like Timothy's little letter to Paul. There, you go. Really, couldn't I just grow in Jesus more out walking at Stubbs Park today than being here? And Paul says no. He says no. I'm going to suffer in prison for this, for the cause of Christ and through His Church. Now, this is really interesting, in light of today, ev- almost every marketing metric today will tell you that particularly Generation Z sees the Church of Jesus as just another nonprofit that actually doesn't do nonprofit stuff as well as a, non- a lot of nonprofits do. So why would I ever give my life to the message of something that is just another nonprofit? When I could just give my money, To united way and leave it at that why would i do that and paul's by his very life says oh no 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 this is not another nonprofit. this is this is the medium the agency of the kingdom of christ the church now when i say the word church what do you think of i always the first word comes to mind back in the day for me was i always loved that phrase frozen chosen Bunch of boring people doing boring things for an exceedingly longer time than necessary. And if you have that view? Of what what you think of when you think of church is, oh my gosh, if I have to do it to go to heaven, go through a little hell to go to heaven, I guess I will. But and actually, some people get to the point where church ought to be suffering because because you you're not worthy of heaven unless you've suffered through some church. You got to suffer through some church. And if you ever grow up that way, you go, but oh, this is suffering. And yet, the word church has an interesting etymology, has an interesting history, really fascinating history. Jesus says, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The word there for church is ecclesia, which is the word from which we get our words, ecclesiology, ecclesiastical. It has a fascinating history. As you know... The Roman Empire was led by a succession of Caesars. And these Caesars believed they were the prince of peace. They were the son of God. They were divine. As a matter of fact, in Rome, they had a saying, there is no other name by which you must be saved than that of Caesar. They had this saying. And they would go around perpetuating the gospel of Caesar. It means good news is what the word gospel means. The good news that this year. So as you live in America for five minutes and you hear the gospel of Donald Trump and the gospel of Joe Biden, they have oh that's the gospel. Like they're going to save us. No, they're not. No, they're not. Because there's only one gospel that really matters. And the Caesars would go around saying, oh I'm I got a new era in my administration. I've got the gospel coming to you and I am the son of God, I'm divine. And this was fascinating because throughout the Roman Empire, what they did was they established these cities that said, we are a servant to propagate the gospel of Caesar. And what they called these cities were ecclesias. They were cities devoted to the perpetuation of the Caesar's gospel. And right at Caesarea Philippi, the city caesar philip founded jesus stands at that cave entrance where babies had been thrown into the fire in worship to to baal and he says i'm going to start my ecclesia and this kind of evil will not stand up to it how's that for your gospel caesar how's that for your gospel and so it's really sad when this jesus movement starts and hundreds of years later it is overturning rome it is uh, it is turning upside down the succession of caesars in rome until finally the church is now the predominant ideology christ following is the predominant ideology in rome and it's so sad today that many of us would equate the word that is translated into English, "ecclesia," into English church, we would equate it with a bunch of boring people doing boring things for an exceedingly longer time than necessary. Isn't it, isn't that sad? Do you see why I get a little testy with this one? Because this was meant to be a movement. They would come along and they would go around cities and they would, look at this, Acts 4.12, they would preach this, they would preach this. There is no other name among men given under heaven by which we must be saved than that of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Because to Roman ears, that would sound really familiar. Do you think you wonder why people got thrown in prison for this? Because they were they were accused of insurrection. They were undermining the political reality of Rome. And this got them arrested. Because the ecclesia of Jesus was taking the political propaganda of the empire and turning it upside down. Turning it upside down, to join up with these people would be to risk your life. It was a dynamic countercultural reality. They they came in and they said they they established these realities as Larry Hurtado has spelled out in his history of Christianity. He said these five realities upset Rome. They were the first multicultural, multi-ethnic movement in the history of the world. They were radically committed to the poor and the marginalized and the disenfranchised. They never retaliated when someone cut them off in traffic, or I mean, whenever they were wronged. They they were radically sexual counterculture. They believed in one man and one woman in marriage, represented the heaven and earth uh joining together and they were pro-life they were for life they were for uh children being thrown into the gutters because they were girls just because they were girls you could do that in rome it was legal to take a baby girl just throw her into the gutter it was legal and the christians would find those girls and they would take them in and they changed the roman empire not because they had the the political power but because they subset the political norm do you wonder why they got arrested Do you wonder why it wasn't come to the church and you'll sit in your cozy brown chair and live a comfortable life? No. To join this movement was to risk your life. It was to put your life in jeopardy. So here's the question. Here's the thing about life. How many of you noticed this? Look at this on the screen. You are going to suffer in life. How many of you agree with me on that? How many agree life... Yeah, yeah, the rest of you are on, on drugs. You're not even here today. Because you, anybody who's saying knows you're going to suffer. The question is, what are you going to suffer for? What are you going to suffer for? I sat down this way and I wrote a list. I know some people who suffer for the church of money. Some people who suffer for the church of sports. Yesterday we were at the OSU game. And you know the kingdom of Woody Hayes. And I, we, I was sitting two rows up from a guy who was wearing a hat that should say that he's a pretty tough dude. And I spilled my Coke. And it was one of those cups that are about this big of Coke. And so it went down our, our row, past our row where, where my son-in-law and daughter and daughter-in-law, the, my grandsons were sitting, and then eked into his seat. And a little bit of Coke touched his little butt. And he was upset. They, he and his wife got up in a huff, and she was rubbing his butt where the little bit of Coke hit his butt. And they went to the next row, and I'm thinking, buddy, you're suffering today. A little bit of Coke hit your butt for the kingdom of Woody Hayes. For the kingdom of Woody Hayes. He said, you're go- can you tell? I'd Oh, boy. It, it, <laughs> If he didn't look like such a tough guy, I'd have had words with him, but I might have lost that fight, you know. And I don't I see myself tumbling down the sea deck in Ohio Stadium because I chose to have words with this guy. But I said, boy, you're going to suffer from something. Some people suffer for the church of sports. Some people suffer for the church of recreation. Some people for the church of popularity. Some people for the church of entertainment. Some people for the church of politics. Now, no, 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 those aren't bad. Politics, maybe. But those aren't bad. Those aren't bad things. Would you go to prison for them? Would you suffer for them? Because Paul said, I'd do it again. If I had one more sermon, if I had one more sermon to win one more to this Christ, So this elicits the question, and I'm telling you, students, college, high school students, you really need to hear to me on this. What is your cause? One of the things we do in players' boxes, we ask students, what's your purpose? Have you ever asked why you're doing this? Have you ever asked why? And a lot of times there's not an answer to that. But the principle, here's the sermon in a sentence today that I want you to take with you, is I wanna tell you pain is inevitable in life, but purpose is optional. You can go through life as a meaningless generality or a meaningful specific. It's up to you. It's up to you. What do you, want, what do you want your life to be? What do you want at the end of your life when you're sitting in a prison or a hospital bed or your living room, wherever it is, when you're writing a letter, you want it to sound a lot like 2 Timothy? Because I'm telling you, if you want anybody to come to your funeral, you probably want it to sound like 2 Timothy. That you lived that life. That there was a cause bigger than yourself. And what you see in the early church is a bunch of people on purpose. Look at this, Acts 1.8. But you'll receive power, the word is dynamite, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The word there for witnesses is martis. What does that sound like? martyr you're going what does a witness do in a court case they don't make stuff up they just say this is what i saw this is what i saw and that's what they did as a matter of fact you know we have the new testament today not because they wrote they read a new testament and they believed it no they saw the resurrected christ and then they wrote the new testament our faith comes from people who witnessed what they saw not what they read and so this term from the legal profession says I I want you to be willing to stake your life on this. You remember the old adage, when you sit down tomorrow morning breakfast and you eat ham and eggs? Just remember, the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. All the way. And Jesus said, I want you to be pigs. I want you to be pigs for me. I want you to be all in. You're not just giving a little bit of, you know, plumping an egg here and there for me. I want you to be all in on this because that's what it's going to take to pull off this ecclesia. Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to that teaching of the gospel, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that statement right there changed the Roman Empire. And I believe it can change the United States of America today. I believe the hope of the future of America is in rooms like this. Where people say, we have the true gospel. That your sins are forgiven. You have meaning to your life. You have hope in death. What Paul Tillich, the theologian, said that no amount of education, no amount of political harmony, no amount of money will ever give the three problems that humanity has that the gospel solves. There's the problem of sin, there's the problem of death, and there's the problem of meaninglessness to life. And Christ comes in and says, listen to me, I have a gospel for you. So here's what we want you to take today. I want you to take this challenge. And some of you are so unspiritual, you go, well, I know he's not talking to me. No, I am actually talking to you because some of you who have come from backgrounds that are really questionable will actually impact people for Christ more than I will. Because I've lived my life so perfectly, there's no way that I can have it. No, it's because I'm a preacher. I get paid to do this. But you don't. The people he was talking to when he said, you'll be my witnesses, they weren't paid. They were lay people. So here's the question that I think can change Dayton if you answer this. I think think this is the official reinvention of our church, how our church was built, is the question I'm going to ask you. Who is one person you could be a witness for Christ? Who is one person... You could pray for. Who is your one? Not two. Who's your one? Someone's on your heart. And here's some questions that that I would advise you to just look back over at least this part of the message today and just go back over these. Would you mind if I prayed for you about that? That's a great question to stimulate spiritual conversation would you mind if I I've never had ardent atheists turn me down on that because hey I need insurance in case I'm wrong you know can I talk to you about what is changing my life about who is changing my life can you answer your phone where do you think you'll be in 100 years that's a great question now, don't go up to someone on the street and ask that question, but somebody you know. What are your favorite things about the world? This engenders a discussion about the goodness of God, because everything that's good in this world points back to Jesus. Everything. Everything. Equal rights, education, medicine. Trust me, it does. I think you'd love the church I'm a part of. Would you meet me there Sunday? We could grab coffee before us. Now, you may get criticized, you may get rejected, you may get ostracized if you do that. I doubt if you'll get killed, but you may, you may, you may. Pain is inevitable. Purpose is optional. Jesus said, Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent one how many times do you see Jesus with one blind man one beggar one man with a shriveled hand one woman at a well how many times just read the gospel sometimes it's not crowds it's one we we we've had an amazing year I found out this week I had no cancer by the way which is big yeah thank you thank you for the prayers And for those of you who didn't pray, may God twist your right ankle. And and you walk with a limp, so I'll know who you are. Um, But we also found out we're gonna have two more granddaughters. I know, we're so excited. And uh, Mackenzie's gonna have little Ruth on around New Year's Eve. And Jordan's gonna have little Sonny around uh, Valentine's Day. It's really close together. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine if when they gave that news, I said, you know what, I think three grandchildren is enough. I think it's enough. How many of you grandparents think three grandchildren is enough, you know you can have five? (laughs) Nobody. Because you can't have too many grandchildren. You can have too many kids, trust me, you can. But you can't have too many grandchildren. And so you know what I didn't say when Mackenzie and Jordan said, we're going to have babies a month apart? I didn't say, guys, things are getting out of control a little bit. This family's growing too fast. And by the way, having them that close together, the way Sherry spends money on these grandkids, we're going to go broke if you keep having these kids (laughs) close together. You think I said that? I said, oh, we're so happy. Because just... One of those little sinners is just so adorable, you know. (laughs) And when they say glamps, your heart melts. And that's why, for our Father in heaven, if you bring just one person to His Son, just one, the angels throw a party. Look at this continuum this will happen to you if you take this challenge to make your life one of everyday purpose who's going to be my one you will be criticized and maybe rejected and maybe ostracized and just know that the man who wrote this letter said if all of that happened and all of it did happen to him I would do it again for just one just one Amen? Amen. I'm not going to pray cuz those songs were prayer today. Now go do it. Now go do it. See you next week, part 2. Everyone, see you.